Shalom and welcome to a journey of enlightenment, inspiration, and connection. You are listening to the Bear Sheva podcast, a beacon of light to the World Noahide community. I'm your host, Tani Burton, and I'm delighted to be your guide on this journey, broadcasting from the heart of the world, Jerusalem, the eternal city. Together, we'll dive deep into the wellsprings of Torah, unearthing timeless truths that resonate to the core of our existence. So get ready to enrich your life, expand your horizons, and embrace the boundless possibilities that lie within the vast expanse of Torah wisdom. This is the Bear Sheva Podcast. Shalom, everyone. Today, we are going to learn about the second principle of faith as Maimonides, otherwise known as the Rambam, distilled it. That principle is the oneness of God. It seems to me that this principle is one of the hardest to explain and to understand. And partly, this is because there are so many philosophical terms that have been created to try to capture the essence of what a belief in God is. Terms like monotheism, exclusive monotheism, pluriform monotheism, henotheism, monolatry, and monism. And the list of isms includes beliefs in one all-powerful being, but also some approaches that do not deny the existence of other gods, or which recognize the possibility of a single god who can manifest himself in multiple forms. It's really dizzying. So I want to give you a tip before we get started. Torah is not identical to any other system of belief. So if you try to fit it into a category that comes from an external source, be it philosophy or comparative religions, you're going to miss the boat. For example, consider the fact that Judaism is known as the world's oldest monotheistic religion. But that term is not sufficient to describe our belief in the oneness of God. Torah and Judaism can only be truly understood from within its framework. So, I'm going to avoid all of those categories I mentioned a few seconds ago and just give you a description of what this principle is based on Torah sources. The first question we could ask is, what does Maimonides or the Rambam mean by oneness. And before we get to that, I realized that in our last shir, we didn't speak about Rambam at all. So I want to give a few words about him because he's going to accompany us through all of our learning. So Maimonides is a Greek term for the Rambam because Ides, that suffix, means son of. He's the son of Maimon. He was Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, the Rambam. And he was an influential Jewish philosopher, physician, and legal scholar who lived from 1135 to 1204. 
He made very significant contributions to various fields, including religious philosophy, medicine, and of course, Jewish law. He was born in Cordoba, Spain. During his early years, his family experienced a very challenging period when the Almohad dynasty gained power in Spain. This Islamic dynasty imposed very strict religious orthodoxy and persecuted non-Muslims, including Jews. And that ended what was known as the Golden Age of Spanish Jewry under previous Islamic dynasties. So as a result, the Rambam and his family were forced to flee Spain and they found refuge in Morocco, in Fez. While he was in Morocco, he pursued intellectual endeavors. He studied medicine, as he had also done in Spain. And he became a very skilled physician. Alongside medicine, he dedicated himself to studying Jewish law and philosophy. And during his time in Fez, he wrote a comprehensive commentary on the Mishnah. And that is our source for the 13 principles. In 1165, the Rambam and his family embarked on a journey to the land of Israel. But due to political instability, they weren't able to stay. They ended up settling in Egypt. In Egypt, Maimonides served as a court physician to Sultan Saladin and his successors, gaining a reputation as a highly skilled healer. And despite his demanding medical career, the Rambam continued his scholarly pursuits. He authored numerous works on various subjects, including philosophy, theology, medicine, Jewish law. Of course, his most famous work is the Mishnah Torah, and it remains highly influential as a comprehensive codification of Jewish law. It says over his grave, Mi Moshe v'yad Moshe ain kemosha which is an incredible uh, thing. Mimosha means from Moses to Moses, there is nobody like Moses. Because just like Moses gave us the Torah in a way that we could understand it and implement it, the Rambam, through his Mishnah Torah, also gave us a codified Jewish law that spans the entire gamut of laws as listed in the Talmud. So he's one of the most important rabbinic decisors ever because of his contribution to Jewish law. His rulings and legal opinions, which are known as responsa, hold tremendous weight and they've shaped Jewish legal practices for centuries, up to this day. He had a rationalist approach to Judaism, which emphasized reason and intellectual inquiry. He had a predilection for some of the Greek philosophers that got him in trouble with other rabbinic academies. But his name lives on. His works continued to be studied and revered and his legacy extends far beyond his lifetime. His emphasis on the synthesis of reason and faith, coupled with his medical expertise, 
and overall dedication to the Jewish community have established him as an enduring figure of intellectual and spiritual inspiration. So, let's see how he will inspire us now. When the Rambam talks about the unity of God and his oneness, he wants to make it clear that God is not like any ordinary thing you can count or measure. If we say that God is just one unit or a specific type of something, that implies that God has limitations or boundaries. But God is beyond that. The problem is that when we try to assign a number to something, it puts a limit on it. When you quantify something, you limit it. But God is limitless and infinite, so we can't use numbers to describe Him. Instead, when we talk about the unity of God, the oneness of God, we mean that He is a unique and indivisible being. Unlike anything else. There's nothing else like Him. And He can't be divided into parts. By avoiding numerical descriptions, the Rambam wants to show us that God is so big and mysterious that we can't fully understand Him. In fact, even to say big is incorrect because we're talking about an infinite being. His unity is so immense that it goes beyond our human understanding. That was what, that was what distinguished Him from earlier Greek philosophers who had advanced the teleological argument, if you'll remember from the last episode, that God is beyond the limits of human understanding. That was not the case with earlier philosophers. So that's why when it comes to the Torah's concept of God, the term monotheism falls short in fully capturing the depth and uniqueness of this belief. The Torah's concept of God goes beyond simply acknowledging the existence of one God. It's also a vision of God that is not only singular, but also incomparable and unparalleled. The Torah emphasizes the absolute uniqueness and oneness of God in a way that surpasses any other entity or being. The Torah's concept of God is not just about counting or quantifying. It's about recognizing the boundlessness and infinite nature of the divine. It highlights that God cannot be confined to any specific category or compared to anything else. God's oneness is beyond our human comprehension and defies any attempts to reduce him to a mere numerical or conceptual idea. So again... While the term monotheism acknowledges a belief in one God, it doesn't fully capture the profound depth and uniqueness of the Torah's understanding of God. Which is better described as a belief in the incomparable oneness and absolute uniqueness of the divine. And as we said before, another aspect of God's oneness is his indivisibility. When we observe the natural world, 
we often notice a hierarchical structure where everything can be divided into smaller parts, which creates a continuum of existence. There's a perspective that was proposed by the psychiatrist George Engel, which is a biopsychosocial model that helps us understand that in order to comprehend illness, we have to consider the interconnectedness of biological, psychological, and social factors. Engel's model highlights how entities can be organized from smaller to larger systems, starting from molecules and going up to planetary systems, and how they influence one another along this continuum. It provides a very valuable framework for grasping the complex relationships within the natural world. But while Engel's model helps us see the interconnectedness of the natural world, it can't fully describe the nature of God. The Raman teaches us that God cannot be divided or categorized like entities in the natural world. Rambam's concept of God's indivisibility reminds us of the transcendence and incomprehensibility of the divine going beyond any hierarchical continuum. It's not that God tops the pyramid of spirituality. God completely transcends all of it. God is completely above and beyond all of it. Now, let's take a look at another perspective, similar perspective, which is the perspective of the Ramchal, who writes in Derech Hashem also about God's attributes, which he reduces to six, six beliefs that we have to have. But the one that relates to what we're talking about now, let's get into that. Before we do that, let's talk a little bit about who the Ramchal was. The Ramchal is Rabbi Moshe Chaim Luzata. And he was an influential Jewish philosopher, a Kabbalist, an ethical writer, who lived from 1707 to 1746. He was born in Italy, and he demonstrated exceptional intellectual abilities from a young age. The Ramchal authored numerous works encompassing a wide range of topics, including Jewish law, mysticism, ethics, and philosophy. His most famous sefer, his most famous book, is probably Mesilat Yesharim, which is translated as Path of the Just, which, interestingly, he wrote while he was in Amsterdam. And it remains a classic work on Jewish ethics, which are otherwise referred to as Musr, which is a, a body of writings that is dedicated to the refinement of one's character within a Torah framework. His writings emphasize the importance of personal moral development in spiritual growth and the pursuit of perfection in the service of God. His teachings had a very profound impact on Jewish thought and continued to be studied and revered by scholars and students of Jewish philosophy to this day. Despite his significant contributions, the Ram Chal's life was relatively short, and he passed away at the age of 39. It's unbelievable what he was able to accomplish in a short lifetime. And in the world of Jewish scholars, there was a renowned figure named Rabbi Eliyahu ben Shlomo Zalman, 
also known as the Vilna Gaon. He was not only a master of Talmudic studies, but a respected Kabbalist, delving into the mystical aspects of Jewish tradition. He held the Ramchal in incredibly high regard. He admired the Ramchal's teachings and writings so much, in fact, that he once said that he would have walked across all of Europe just to meet him. And that tells us something about the immense respect and admiration the Vilna Gaon had for the Ramchal's spiritual wisdom and his insight. It's a testament to the profound impact that the Ramchal had on Jewish thought. Now, what does the Ramchal have to tell us about the indivisibility of God? He articulated it even further than the Rambam did. He explains that our understanding of God follows logically from the fact of his oneness, an absolute necessary independence from all things. He describes God as a simple and undifferentiated existence, possessing all characteristics and forms of perfection in a way that is completely different from anything we can conceive of. In contrast, when we consider humans, we see that we have different attributes like memory, speech, willpower, with each attribute distinct and separate from the others. However, when it comes to God, we can't speak of attributes that are differentiated within him as they are within created beings. Instead, God, due to his oneness and absolute necessary independence, possesses every perfection as one being without any divisions. Now, I should have told you before we started this episode to grab a cup of herbal tea or something that could calm you down and cool your mind out and allow you to focus because I know this is very, very heavy stuff. Very heavy, very deep stuff. Why is it so difficult to grasp the oneness of God? You can see so far, based on what we're talking about, why the concept of the Trinity is so antithetical to the Torah, why it is so antithetical to Judaism and to the faith as prescribed by the Torah. Why is it so hard to get? It's harder for scientifically oriented people, especially those of us in the West or from the West. Why is that hard to understand? Because we are used to thinking categorically. We want to classify everything as this or that. If it's this, it's not that. Categorical thinking, which is our natural tendency to put things into groups based on similarities and differences can be traced back to ancient Greek philosophy. One philosopher in particular, Aristotle, played a very big role in developing this way of thinking. Aristotle came up with the idea of categorical propositions, which are statements that assert something about a specific group or class of things. He created a system of categorizing objects based on their essential characteristics. For example, he classified living things into plants and animals, and animals further into different groups based on shared characteristics. 
This way of categorizing and classifying things became really important in Greek philosophy and had a big influence on how we think even today. It provided a framework for organizing knowledge and understanding the world by putting things into clear categories. The impact of Greek philosophy, especially Aristotle's ideas, went beyond just philosophy. It influenced science, logic, and even the way we use language. Categorical thinking became a fundamental part of Western thought and continues to shape how we understand and learn about the world. So while categorical thinking is something that we all naturally do, its formal development and systemization can be traced back to ancient Greek philosophy, with Aristotle as a key figure in its development. His categorical thinking played a foundational role in the early development of scientific thought. While the scientific tradition, of course, has moved beyond some aspects of Aristotle's framework, incorporating more dynamic and nuanced approaches, categorical thinking continues to have relevance in certain contexts and remains a useful tool for organizing and communicating knowledge. And of course, when it comes to issues of faith and issues of the divine, happens to be completely antithetical to the Torah's perspective. We'll get into that as we go along in this series. The Ramam explains that the principle of the unity and indivisibility of God, which is a fundamental belief in the Torah, is implied by a verse in Deuteronomy that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. That is a That should be familiar to anybody, even if you're not Jewish. Because that, as my rabbi explained, he always said this, we all rise as we recite the watchword of our faith, which is the Shema Yisrael. Now, this verse challenges the concept of categorical thinking. And in order to understand that, we have to break it down. In this verse, there are two names for God that are mentioned. There is Hashem, the Lord, which represents divine compassion, and Elokeinu, our God, which represents divine might and stern judgment. We all experience moments in life when things seem to be going well, when we feel blessed and supported, and these moments reflect divine compassion. On the other hand, there are challenging times when life feels difficult and we face hardship, and those moments reflect divine judgment. These experiences may seem like complete opposites. It's natural for us to believe in God more easily when things are going well, and we find it hard to believe in God when things are tough. We might think that God is present in positive situations and absent in negative situations. However, the central creed of Torah faith teaches us something important. It shows us that the division we perceive between divine compassion and divine judgment is limited to our perspective. In reality, they are not separate, but rather part of the same unity because they both come from God, who is one. In essence, this belief challenges our tendency to categorize situations as either good or bad, 
and it reminds us that everything is ultimately connected and guided by the divine unity. It encourages us to see beyond the surface and understand that even in challenging times, there is a purpose and a greater plan at work. The indivisibility of God helps us embrace the mysteries of life and trust that everything is part of a larger unified whole. We have to remember every day of our life that when we look back, God has a perfect track record. So we can trust that no matter what happens, it's good, it comes from Him, and it's part of a bigger plan. He's running the show. Now let's take things in a bit of a different direction. Rashi uses this verse by describing God's oneness not in relation to himself, but the effect that his oneness will have on humanity. When the verse states, the Lord is our God, the implication is that currently he is the God of Israel, but not the God of the nations. Not because he's not the only God. He is the only God. But because the other peoples of the world do not recognize him, and therefore do not have that relationship with him. But the Lord is one. In the future, he will be the God of all humanity. For this, Rashi cites two verses. The first is from Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9, which says that at that point I will make the peoples pure of speech so that they will all call out in the name of the Lord. And the Mitsudat David explains, this means that everyone will return to the linguistic state of humanity before the Tower of Babel. They will speak Lashon HaKodesh, the Holy Tongue. The second verse cited by Rashi is Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9. On that day the Lord shall be one and his name one. The question is, isn't God one now? Of course he is. But the difference will be reflected in the consciousness of human beings who will abandon their misguided ways and acknowledge that there is only one God. And the Ibn Ezra explains that it's for this reason that the whole world speaks the holy tongue at that point. So that when they call out in the name of God, they'll be able to do so as his name is actually written. What we know as the Shem Hanichbad, the honorable name, or Shem HaMufurash, the articulated name, which we are not allowed to pronounce today. That's the meaning of God's name shall be one. So what we see from this is that the belief in God's oneness has the power to unite all human beings, far beyond treaties and ceasefires, nationalism and globalism, and international organizations like the UN. You might find it peculiar that the belief in the unity and the oneness of God is contained in a verse that sounds so particular, like, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. But the way we understand it is that he might appear to be the God of Israel now, because the rest of humanity hasn't yet attached itself to him. But eventually, he will be the unifying force beyond all humanity, and we will all come together through values. Let's understand the difference between quantitativeness and uniqueness. We talked about it in terms of God. Let's talk about it in terms of how that reflects in humanity. In Zephaniah, 
chapter 3, verse 9, and Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9, we discover prophecies envisioning people from various nations coming together to worship and serve a united God. These verses highlight a future where individuals, regardless of their cultural backgrounds, will acknowledge and honor God. It's like a grand family reunion, uniting people from diverse parts of the world to celebrate their shared heritage and values. This message of unity and harmony among nations encourages us to embrace diversity, value different cultures, and strive for peaceful coexistence. It reminds us that we are all part of a global family and should extend love and respect to one another, just as we love and worship our shared God. On this point, Viktor Frankl, a renowned psychiatrist and Holocaust survivor, emphasized the importance of recognizing our uniqueness while understanding our interconnectedness as human beings. We said that the hierarchical order of the natural world, the interconnectedness of all things, which could be subdivided, of course, does not apply to a transcendent being like God. But it does apply to the human race. Frankel's work encourages us to find meaning and purpose by transcending ourselves, getting beyond ourselves and making positive contributions to the well-being of others. By embracing our individuality and acknowledging our connection with humanity, which generates responsibilities for everybody. That way we can contribute to the greater good and experience a deeper sense of fulfillment. So when we combine the messages from Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9, and Viktor Frankl's insights, which are written in The Doctor and the Soul, which was his manuscript that he took with him into the concentration camps. He was in five of them. By the way, you should know that Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, which I recommend to everybody, is considered one of the books you should read before you die. It's an important, very important work. So through these various sources, we are reminded of the significance of unity, embracing diversity, and working towards a peaceful and harmonious existence as a global family. In this episode, we explore the second principle of faith as distilled by Rambam, which is the oneness of God. We learn that God's oneness goes beyond traditional categorizations and numerical descriptions. The Torah's concept of God's oneness is incomparable, unparalleled, and beyond human comprehension. We discussed how categorical thinking influenced by Greek philosophy can limit our understanding of God's oneness. The indivisibility of God challenges our tendency to categorize situations as good or bad, reminding us that everything is ultimately connected and guided by God, by the divine unity. Rashi's commentary highlighted that God's oneness has the power to unite all humanity in recognizing Him as the one true God. Lastly, we explore the distinction between being a monad, a single unit, and being unique, emphasizing and recognize the interconnectedness of all beings. Understanding the oneness of God invites us to approach Him with awe and humility, acknowledging His infinite nature and the unity that encompasses all of creation.
Well, that about wraps it up for today. Make sure to join us next time as we explore the third principle in Rambam's 13 Principles of Faith, which is the non-corporeality of God. Thank you for joining us on the Bear Sheva Podcast. The podcast is proudly presented to you by Sukkot Shalom Beni Noach. As a global Noahide community, Sukkot Shalom is deeply rooted in the timeless values of Torah. We're dedicated to nurturing growth, fostering unity, and spreading the light of Torah to every corner of the world. For more enriching content and to be a part of our vibrant community, visit our website at www.sukkatshalom-benenoach.com. Remember to follow or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and leave us a comment with the topics you'd love to explore in future episodes. See you next time.